You're tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network, featuring news, interviews, and commentary on all things Black Hollywood. Hollywood redefined. From Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is Black Hollywood Live. Justice is served. Featuring the week's roundup and commentary on legal news. Black Hollywood Live. Hollywood redefined. You're listening to Black Hollywood Live. And now, the host for Black Hollywood Live, Justice is served. Hello, everyone. I'm Sarah Azari. Welcome to Justice is Served. I'm a criminal defense attorney and legal analyst, as well as your host here today. And I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Chelsea Galicia, also an attorney. Chelsea, it's great to be back. Thank uh, you. <laughs> doing this segment with you. I, I feel like I've been gone forever um, since the holidays and then a vacation and a trial. And uh, it's nice to be doing this segment, which is all about very big names in big legal trouble uh, in Hollywood. And we have a very, very special guest with us here today in the studio, Anthony Brooklier. Welcome to Justice is Served. Good to be here. Thank you. And I'm going to call him Tony just because, you know, I've known him since 2002. Um, but Tony is an attorney with over 43 years of experience as a criminal defense attorney. And he has successfully tried over 300 jury trials, both in Los Angeles and across the nation in state and federal courts. He is, um, I admire him not just because he's a brilliant lawyer, but he's, he's humble about it. You know, when, when sometimes I get a call and we're discussing cases and he's just completed a trial and I ask him how it go. He's having five different conversations, but he just humbly says, oh, not guilty, and, you know, goes off to talking about the best Italian restaurant in town. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I just love that about you, and uh, it's an honor to have you. I've, uh, you know, I've been mentored by you, and it's great to have you on the show. Um, so let's get started with our case of the week, which is about Suge Knight. He is being held on no bail on four very serious felony counts. One, the murder of his friend Terry Carter. The second being the attempted murder of another big name in hip-hop, Claybone Sloan, as well as two felony hit-and-run counts, uh, one having to do with each of these men. Uh, this uh, he, he essentially turned himself into the West Hollywood Sheriff's Department last Friday with his then-attorney Jim Black who Tony and I both have worked with and know very well. And Shook Knight at the time was held on $2 million bail. And since then, on Monday, he was arraigned in Los Angeles Superior Court and the bail was lifted and he has no bail. So before we get into the incident that led to these charges and Shook's arrest, let's take a quick look at the clip of his surrender on Friday. Sir, what was the what was the fight about, man? Can you say anything about the allegations against you? So, you know, when I saw this, I thought he's cool as a cucumber, puffing on a cigar. Um, and these are some very serious charges. You know, if you didn't know, you would think he's there to sign a record deal or something, you know. But, uh, 
uh, nonetheless, uh, this issue of him being held on no bail is my first question to you, Tony. Um, he's charged with one of these charges is is a murder, right? Um, and and so my question is is obviously he has a very long rap sheet. We're going to get into that in a minute. But does the no bail have to do with the fact that he's got this rap sheet and might be a flight risk, or because of the nature of the charges and one being murder? Well, I think it's it's all of the above. No bail is very unusual. You only usually see it in capital cases, and this isn't a capital uh, a capital case. This is not a death penalty case. Um, you know, I think uh, he's got this big name, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera, uh, and the prosecution successfully argued that uh, he's a flight risk, mm-hmm. and at least for the moment, he's being held with no bail. I talked to his new attorney, David Kenner, somebody I've known for 30 years plus today, in fact, just a few minutes ago. So he's no longer represented by James Blatt. Right, okay. right. Uh, David, Probably a good call. Sorry. Uh-huh. I just th- think he said some, three really amusing things that turned out to not work We're out We're going to get so well. to that when we talk so, about the okay. incident. Well, I, I'm, I'm here to defend, uh, to, uh, defend James Blatt, because, mm-hmm. uh, so we'll go at it. But uh, <laughs> I, uh, but getting back to getting back to the question, um, I, I think that's it. Now there's a bail review set next week. I okay. believe it's set Monday. So and, this might change. Uh, I think it. I think it might change. I don't think it will. Well, let's talk about the incident because I think it's important for the viewers who may not have followed to know what led up to this. So last Thursday, Shook shows up to the set of a hip hop movie that uh, you know a lot of big names were there. Dr. Dre was there in Compton, and Shook is actually a native of Compton. So was his friend who uh, unfortunately was hit and killed in this accident, uh, Terry Carter, and he shouldn't. Um, I believe Remains it was an accident. Okay. Uh, whether it's intentional or not, it was an accident that killed the guy. So um, he shows up to the set of this movie and gets into an argument with Sloan, and the deputy sheriffs who are manning the set tell him to take it out. Um, he's then seen in the parking lot of Tam's Burgers in Compton, where witnesses have told the sheriff's department punches were exchanged between Shug and Sloan through his pickup uh, truck window. And um, he then... This is according to the witnesses. He then hits the two men, being Carter and Sloan, and then guns it again, running over them, and flees the scene. So uh, the theory from from law law enforcement perspective is that he was angry, that he had an intent to kill um, Sloan, even though he hit the wrong or he killed the wrong guy, his own friend. Uh, He's still on the hook for murder and attempted murder. And um, James Blatt, his then attorney at the time of his surrender, made a very detailed statement that saying that this was just an accident, that he was being attacked and he was in mortal fear for his life. And one of several men happened to be Sloan who was attacking Shug. And so he had to get out of there as soon as he could. So it's sort essentially self-defense. Um, he also said that these this case would go away by early next week and... That is clearly not happening. Right. So. I have to say, you know, um, I I think in situation like this, I would be very careful, especially with a big name like this, a high profile case. I would be very careful to make really any statement so early on. And I'm curious to see how you feel about this, Tony. But, you know, saying things like, oh, the case is going away by such and such date, making promises that you really don't know that you can deliver, and also making statements about a video that you have not seen. Um, I always get nervous. You know, there's a video in this case uh, in the custody of the Sheriff's Department. According to Tony, his new attorney is going to be viewing it momentarily today. Um, but 
you know, not knowing what's on there and just going by your clients, uh, you know, expectation of what that video is going to show makes me nervous. How do you feel about that, Tony? Well, I, I I don't think it's that important to tell you the truth. What's important is what the video shows. That's what I mean. That, well, that's what that's what that's what's important. But look, at, at the time, this is what Blatt knew. Uh, Jim Blatt, uh, uh, contrary to uh, the opinion of the lady next to me, apparently, uh, <laughs> is a very experienced, uh, and successful uh, attorney, and he's going by what Suge Knight told him, and that it was an accident, uh, which I tend to agree with, uh, and I'll tell you why if you want me to. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Well, first of all, this one of the fellows that was killed, Terry Carter, uh, was friends with Suge, as far as I know. I mean, I've right. heard of Terry Carter since way back in the 80s. What a wonderful man he was. Uh, he helped a lot of people who uh, were on the street. Also helped. had a record label in the hip-hop hip industry. Yeah, but, I mean, but, more, but even more than that, he was held in high esteem by the community. He would take kids that had no place to live off the street, help them get off drugs, help them get jobs. A lot of people people called him dad. A lot of people called him dad. Yeah, a lot of people called him dad. And uh, and Suge, as far as I know, uh, Suge Knight was friends with him. And so, I mean, it's impossible for me to believe that knowing Suge the way I know him, uh, that he would intentionally run over anybody, because that is not a manly thing to do. I'm not saying Suge Knight is a saint. And he might stand there and punch it out with you face to face, but he's not going to run you over in a car and leave. And leave. He's not a. So then, why did he? I think. Why did he leave? This my look. I think. I think he was trying to get out of there. I think he was being attacked, and I. I don't. I'm not even sure that he knew. I uh, Blatt told me that when he, he that Suge broke down when he found out Terry Carter uh, had uh, had passed away. I think his statement well, was that he wasn't aware right away that he had actually hit anybody. How, anyone. How do you run over people twice and not know it, and then show up to turn yourself in smoking a cigar as if somebody had just gotten uh, you know run over their toe or something? So it's just this doesn't really match up. Well, you know. Look, we have to. You have to look at the video. And I talked to David Kinner, his new attorney, about half an hour ago. And David told me he was going to be seeing it in an hour or two. Mm-hmm. He hasn't seen it either. So, right. So this could be the smoking gun that corroborates the prosecution's or case, or doesn't corroborate it, or undermines it, or, or undermines it, and actually um, puts everything you know where everything will fall into. To, to plays in terms of what Jim Blatt said, which is it was an attack and he was protecting himself and he had but to get out of there. If it's his character to fight it out, it doesn't make sense that he would drive off. Well, I think well, what, I, I, what, I, what I was told was he was being attacked by more than one person. Right, I, a group I, I of people. Well, is what I, I, I know. know. There was never four people like Blatt said. Were you there? That that is what apparently, <laughs> apparently you're an eyeball witness. <laughs> well, this Do you is hang what out they, in Compton, Chelsea. <laughs> were you at Were you at Tams? All right, I'm Cheeseburger. <laughs> it was my cheat day for crying out loud. I've actually had numerous cases in Compton. I was, I don't even know where Tams works, <laughs> but hey. Um, all right. Um, the other question I had for you, Tony, is, is you know, Shook, and you might know this because uh, I'm also curious to talk to you about your experience representing him because I know you've represented him before. But um, he had been twice, uh, a few years apart, 
shot. He'd been a victim of shootings, and there were no arrests made. The assailants were never um, located. And um, do you think that the fact that he has been attacked before and that he's been a victim um, in that sort of hip-hop world, do you think that will have any um, impact in this case or any any weight uh, that the fact that well, he had to like dodge and leave and yeah, protect him. Yeah, I mean, here's the guy. Here's a guy that was in the car with Tupac when Tupac was murdered in Las Vegas. Suge's skull was creased with a bullet. He took six shots a few months ago. In August, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Stood outside, called nine one one, and waited for the ambulance to come. Um, this is a tough guy, uh, and that's why I say I just don't think it's in his character to do to make a punk move like trying to running over somebody intentionally with a car. That's Shug wouldn't do that. So he you might just jump, think he it's might not... jump out of the car and and <laughs> so, and, and so why didn't he? I I, I, I don't know. Look. Well, I that... think I think he was just trying to get away. I honestly no and this I haven't seen anything. You know, only time will tell. We don't have all the facts in front of us, but if you just want if you want my opinion and this is just my opinion mm-hmm. based on his character, no way he intended to kill anybody. Mm-hmm. With a car. He seems to be more confrontational, sure. even in she'll, she'll, looking she'll, at his past. Look in your face, but he's not going to—he's not going to run you over with a car, right? Well, his rap sheet—you um, know—this this this new arrest prompted me to look back at his history, and it's it's rather long and rap sheet, no pun intended. Um, you know, he, he nicely done, Sarah. <laughs> um, he had. He he had an, a recent arrest, and I want to talk to you about this as well. In 2014, in, in the fall, him and Cat Williams, a comedian, were charged with second-degree robbery of camera equipment. And that, to me, sounds like one of those stupid things that someone does, and then they get into, uh, uh, you know, some kind of a. Uh, struggle and then it becomes a robbery, you know, where the force element comes in, right? So, um, what is the impact of that open case on on this this one now? Well, of course, the fact that he's out on bail in that case makes it a two year out on bail enhancement. But meaning it adds to his time, whatever he's exposed to time if he's found guilty. It adds to his exposure, but mm-hmm. you know that was. A, I talked to that woman. I talked to the woman whose camera was uh, allegedly, allegedly stolen, allegedly taken by mm-hmm. force. Um, I think this was just a situational thing, this, a paparazzi situation, if you will, that that got out of hand. I think Suge or or the comedian had one of one of them or both of them had one of their had their kids with them, mm-hmm. and they didn't want their kids filmed. And I think that was a confrontation. I think that is that a defense? Do you think that well, would work uh, no, but I think I think what it does, I think what it does is puts it in context as that, that it wasn't some. You know, it, it sounds like it was a strong arm robbery. It's more right. protective than aggressive. And this yeah, happens exactly. a lot. And um, I'm sure you you get this as well in your practice where I've had clients come in um, on a petty theft of a CD or a magazine from a store. And they're charged with robbery. Sure. And it's because they walk out of the store and they get into this, uh, you know, right. struggle with the security officer. And suddenly it's a robbery. And, and that's called an Estes robbery. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it, it's just like you bump somebody. And, and suddenly all it's sudden, forced. All of a sudden you have a strike. It's you're, yeah, you're facing a and it's it's really so. When I when I saw this charge, I thought he doesn't need camera equipment. I mean, this is one of those you know yeah. crazy situations. But then going backwards, um, in 2013, he's arrested on outstanding on an outstanding warrant. Later released 2009, he's involved in a fight at a hotel in Scottsdale. 2005 um, was the other time when he was shot. He was a victim, of course, in that case. Basically, he's got two strikes. 
he definitely has two strikes, and, and and the first one is back in '96. So in 2003, he punches a parking lot attendant outside a Hollywood nightclub, and he's violated his parole on the first uh, conviction. Um, 2002, he's gone to jail for probation violation because he hung out with gang members, and um, his his worst case, aside from the current one, I think was in 1996 when he was convicted of aggravated assault in Las Vegas um, and served five years. And this had to do with um, an assault that occurred just hours before Tupac Shakur uh, was shot and killed. So um, I, I'm wondering if, let's say he doesn't get event tried for murder or even get um, convicted of attempted murder, but it's just felony hit and run. Mm-hmm. Is that a third strike sufficient to cause that a was, third stri- three strikes law? And that's a great question for Tony. And I think that aside from the three strikes that we want to hear from you on, um, what is the best case scenario for him? And what's the worst ca- in terms of his exposure in this case? What's the best he can walk away with? Well, the best would be to be acquitted. Of everything. Of everything. Okay, maybe okay. she asked what's reasonably well, I, I, you know, I, best case. Because do you really think you can get off for everything? I, one guy is dead, one guy's in the hospital. If and Tony had, was representing him, he would. Well, I wouldn't say that. He has a very, he, he's had very good lawyers in the past. And he's, I, got a very, yeah. he's got a very good lawyer. I, I don't know Kidder's them. A, I do know you. Very good, very good lawyer. Look, you know, anything is possible in, 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 this, uh, in this situation. Um, but in answer to the, one of your questions, is it, is it a felony hit and run a strike? No, it's right. not. They changed the, th- the three strikes law, wherein now it used to be any felony, and you, you get banged for 25 to life. Mm-hmm. Now it has to be a strike. It mm-hmm. has to be either a, um, a Not se- just a serious, felony, but actually a strike a felony, but, uh, There's two kinds of strikes, uh, violent mm-hmm. uh, and serious. It has yeah. to be... And a and felony those, hit and run is not either one. I don't. I, I don't believe it is. It's not considered violent. Serious offenses are things like rape, um, aggravated assault. You know, things of that sort. Right, not assault with a deadly. Absolutely. Or, or if if uh, just a simple assault with intent to right. commit great bodily injury and the infliction. Anytime right. there's an infliction of great bodily injury, that's a strike. that's a strike. Yeah, that's a strike. Mm-hmm. So is that so if he not were convicted of that? Happened? Well, I I don't know what happened. Look look look. He, it would be great result for him if he walked away with two counts of hit and run, um, which is a violation of the vehicle code. And, you know, his insurance is going to go up. He's going to be on probation. <laughs> sure you know, he'll be on his, probation. I don't think that's what his panic attack yesterday was about. I think he, he knows that he's probably going to be calling jail home for a while. Well, I, I mean, I wouldn't be too sure. All right. I wouldn't bet the farm Remember on when? <laughs> uh, remember when Robert Blake, <laughs> in a, on a murder case, he got out at the preliminary hearing. He got out on bail, which was really shocking and to his, a lot of his, us. His, his attorney Tom Mesero made a brilliant argument, argument, one that, as far as I'm concerned, I was electrified. I was when I was watching it. Yeah. Um, one of the greatest arguments I've ever heard anybody ever make on any case. Yeah. He uh, just. Fabulous attorney. And then, right. of course, he went on to successfully uh, represent Do Michael, Michael Jackson. Jackson. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
All right. Well, um, let's turn it over to you, Chelsea, and on the docket. Okay, great. So we've got another murder trial that we're covering here, this one of Aaron Hernandez, and this is the first of two that he will be facing in total. So the last time we covered this, we talked about jury selection, and now the jurors have been picked, although one was kicked off yesterday for apparently being uh, really into this case, had been into this case for a long time, and had actually wanted to be a juror. But somehow they found out about this and kicked her off. Anyways, there's been a couple more interesting things. First, I was um, really, I'll call it amused. You probably won't share that uh, that word. Sentiment? Right, that sentiment. I'm, I'm laughing already. <laughs> <laughs> By his defense attorney during the opening statement where he said that the police and prosecution have targeted this NFL star. The, the, his attorney made it a point to reference the fact that he's a former uh, New England Patriot and uh, said that it, it doesn't make sense that uh, he would kill Odin Lloyd. They were really good friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it, I don't think, looked so good when yesterday the girlfriend of the victim, mm-hmm. who also happens to be Hernandez's fiance's sister, takes the stand and says, no, they were acquaintances. They were cool. They hung out over the last two years, but they were not friends. And that in the... Weren't they uh, party friends? They would smoke pot together and yes. hang out. Yeah. That was, well, my, that, that was my code that word That might be the definition of friendship in, in pothead world. You know? <laughs> well, I, I don't know. But the other part that doesn't look so great is that um, the victim's girlfriend was at Hernandez's house in the hours after the murder, when she found out that her boyfriend was killed, she was with her sister, and her sister mysteriously gets up, goes to the basement, gets something, asks to borrow her car, leaves without explanation. Potentially, that's where prosecutors are trying to uh, say the uh, murder weapon went. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think that was really fascinating. The last part that I think uh, is really not helpful to his case is this picture right here that the prosecution has showed of him. This is from security uh, video from his own home, standing in his own, it looks like the foyer of his house, holding what to me looks like to be a gun, but I've heard to some people could be an iPad or an iPhone unless there's a version of those things that I haven't seen yet. I don't think so. Um, I've seen lighters shaped like that. Oh, is that what you tell the jury? There, there are things shaped like a gun. Okay, <laughs> but I don't think an iPhone has yet to be created that looks right. like a gun. Okay. But. Well, well, Anthony, what would you do if this was the picture shown in your well, case? Well, I, I've read something of the case. I watch it because it's 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 of interest, um, you know. Uh, but um, I think it's a I think it's a strong circumstantial case for the I pro- agree. for the prosecution. Mm-hmm. What? The defense scored a big victory um, because the issue is motive. Mm-hmm. You know, that's juries are always interested in motive. And what is what is the motive here? Well, the well, motive here, mm-hmm. the judge took away from the, exactly. from the prosecution. And because, it was big. Yeah. And the motive was that apparently the decedent was aware that Hernandez uh, had killed two other people prior to this time. Which that's the other case that's The trial that's pending. And the judge like kept that out, which right. was a huge victory, because once a jury heard that, and I think the judge was probably right yeah. to do it, you know, it's just too prejudicial but versus can't, probative. Can't the prosecution still say that uh, Aaron didn't like that Odin Lloyd 
uh, was friends with apparently people he didn't like. Well, and they, that, yeah, they could say, right. say that. But it's but not as 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 big of a motive or as strong of a yeah, motive. You know that I killed guy, other guys. As this, this guy knew I'm too much. This guy's going to rat me out yeah. on these two murders because he knows too much. That's, that's a and real now motive. he's afraid that his fiance has made a deal with because what happened was his fiance um, in the grand jury testimony that she gave she lied and about the fact that they keep guns in the house she lied about that and she was caught so the prosecution wanted to charge her with perjury and the defense attorneys for Hernandez are concerned that she has made a deal are they are they married nope. no she's the mother of his child the, we have now found one reason to get married yes absolutely maybe the best reason in the world <laughs> get married quickly. can't testify against right. you, you know, the, marital, the marital privilege but you know what I'd be worried about if I was the defense attorney Apparently, there's two other people charged in this too. Right, they severed. Mm-hmm. Um, if I, I, I would be worried that one of those two other people or their attorney is going to come to the prosecution looking for mercy and say, "Look, I was there. This is what happened." And so that they could get a better deal. Sure, it right. Happens all the time, and then you know? yeah, and, and sever meaning that they're going to be tried separately from right. Hernandez. Well, you know, um, there's no gun, there's no eyewitnesses, and there's no well. There potentially could be eyewitnesses if one of these two other guys come forward. Yes, yes. But at this time, there are no eyewitnesses, and the the real strong motive is gone. It's taken away by the court. But there are two intriguing pieces of information that have come up. One is that there is a joint found near uh, Lloyd's body, and it has um, it has Hernandez's DNA, and then there is a shell... And the, and the decedent's DNA. And the decedent's DNA, and then there's a shell casing found in Fernandez's rental car, which also c- carries the D- DNA. So um, those are some, you know, additional that's additional then, piece of evidence at the time. picture over here that Chelsea... Yeah, the picture's out. not good. The picture's, because the picture's not good. Because it, 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 it looks like a gun, and now you have to explain that a even lighter? though it looks like a gun, it's something else. What are you lighting <laughs> with something that size? The fireplace? Yeah. yeah. No, no, I don't no. Know. <laughs> at, but at, at like it was six in the morning when he came came home. His surveillance cameras show that he came home at like five thirty in the morning. Is that something you do at six in the morning? Yeah, I mean, but I don't the, know. the you know the 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 surveillance video is is not good because it shows them. Uh, it shows Hernandez and the two other. I'll call them co-defendants, even though they're, they're not in the same uh, trial. Um, going at like three in the morning and picking up Lloyd and taking him to a very remote industrial park. And then um, one of the guys stays in the car, but Wallace and Hernandez are seen walking out with Lloyd. And then they come back to the car, but Lloyd doesn't. Yeah. Right. Well, that's, that's why I say circumstantial case. And, you know, circumstantial evidence can be devastatingly stronger then direct because you don't mm-hmm. you don't have to depend on witnesses. Right. These are things that happen, and when you put them all together, you know either this guy's guilty or he's the unluckiest person that ever walked the face of the earth. Right. I'm for thinking the, it's the former for, for all these things that to have happened. Yeah, I think it's a tough case. Well, you know, I think the inevitable defense here is going to be pointing the finger to Wallace, the the other guy that was actually walked out of the car and went to this um, location and then came back. Uh, I mean, I'm guessing this is going to be the defense for Hernandez is that, you know, after the shoddy police thing doesn't work out for them. (laughs) Well, that's always we try to say that um that's no, sort of no, the default don't. argument that's, that, that's not true that no I, I mean that isn't true but in a case like this if you're going to bring that up yeah as a, as a defense attorney 
you have to, I think you have to do more than just rely on the concept of reasonable doubt. When you right. make a statement like that, you have to you have to have third party liability. He better be able to say, fill in the blank, and here's the blank. Mm -hmm. My client is not guilty because, because he was helping puppies at the shelter. I don't think that there's going to be any blank filled in by his. Well, attorney. you might you might you might be right, but I mean I think that that's that's, that's what the needs to happen. For, for I was the, listening for, for it for on the but, opening statements, and that's nothing close to what came out of their mouths. He's going right. to harp on. He's going. The defense attorney's going to harp on. He had everything going for him. Right. He had a contract, forty million dollar contract. He had a, he had a beautiful a fiance, baby, yeah. baby. But you know, but, but it was disrespected, and that matters. But more I mean, than don't everything. you think he's going to say, "Look, Wallace, this flunky from Bristol, Connecticut, who's you know dependent on me for support and for you know visibility or whatever. He just decided to take this point forty five Glock to this guy who happened to be my acquaintance or friend or whatever, and I had nothing then, to do with then it." Then you know what? Then Hernandez has to get up and and, and to say testify. That. He's, what, got, he's got to testify. What are the chances he's going to get up there? You know what? I'll tell you. If I were the defense attorney, and I and I face this circumstantial evidence, I would really consider putting my client on the stand. Mm -hmm. I really would. And I really think that um, this concept that you don't... I put my client on the stand when I think it's appropriate, a lot more than I think a lot of other attorneys do. People, right. I don't care what jurors say. Most of the time, they want, I've won cases. I've won a lot of cases without putting my client on the stand. But jurors basically want to hear they want to hear, no matter what they say, they want to hear from your client. Right. I think it's just we're so afraid of, you know, the, the cross-examination of our clients. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a different thing. But, right. but look, if you're in, here's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Here's how George, this is what they're going to think. If the only case, way you can get the evidence in is through his testimony. You're on trial for murder. Right. For, you're saying you're not guilty. This was your, your fiancé's sister's boyfriend. Get up and tell that jury, and you know, in in this case more than others, mm -hmm. I think he has to testify. And I, I I would be surprised if he didn't. Yeah, we'll of course update you in the upcoming weeks as this trial uh, will probably go on for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, this next one. Do you guys remember back in 2000, that song about let's get married, meet me at the altar in your white dress? I know it was your favorite song. It was my favorite song. <laughs> Can you imagine? It came out in 2000. So that there are teenagers right now who weren't even born when that song came mm -hmm. out, you guys missed out. Okay, anyway, so one of the guys from that group, Kyle Norman, was recently arrested for aggravated assault. Um the ironic part of this case is that while he was allegedly beating her up, he was shoving his in the engagement ring down her throat. The one she had on from him. Yes, um. yes, yes, yes. So the details are pretty brutal, um, but what I found made him endearing at least slightly was when police caught up to him he said I need to go to jail so do you guys think that that's going to help or harm his ability to get a deal well, <laughs> I don't think it's going to help his case right you know, uh, I think people are really honest when they're drunk um, was, he, was he intoxicated yeah. um, I think the argument started because of his alcohol consumption and I think well, he said he was upset that his father had been diagnosed with cancer but her version was that he, she was basically telling him, look, you got to stop drinking yeah. and that kind of thing. And I think, you know, I mean, I, you know, this, this whole ring business is rather unique, but, um, I've had, uh, 
commonly their domestic violence cases involve alcohol and what I do is and I think Tony does the same thing is I ask the clients to immediately start attending AA meetings if it's very serious if the crime is you know if the charge is let's say a felony or whatnot I might even ask them to go into residential treatment I think it's it's um, it looks really good in terms of mitigation um, that you know if, if you're going to say as a defense attorney had my client not been drunk he would have never done this then the best evidence of that is your client trying to fix that problem you know so um, but yeah I need to go to jails not the did, brightest did she thing take him back by the way are they together I, I hope I know I, I, I got a new engagement oh god I don't know this time I hope she that we find say, out soon get me a small one if you shove it down my throat I, and I have to. Oh you my know gosh. what I'm saying, right? Yeah, can, yeah. But uh, when you have a chance, you have to watch the the, the video. I, I love to get you end up watching it. No, there's oh a video God. of him trying to shove the. No, ring. no, no. The video of the song. Oh, okay. Back from 2000. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty uh, epic. You've got to. Yeah, you have to see. It. Watch it later after the show's over. Not yet. Okay, because we still got uh, a couple things to talk about, including Mr. George Zimmerman. Did he get away with it again? It looks like it. The most recent girlfriend or quasi-girlfriend or whatever um, that he uh, was arrested for assaulting has recanted. And um, Is this the one with the wine bottle? Yep, that's mm-hmm. her. And uh, so this is the third woman in a row to change her mind mm-hmm. about uh, pursuing charges against him. And so since she recanted, prosecutors have dropped um, the case. And how long until he finally gets convicted of well, you know, domestic um, violence. It, the interesting thing about this is that uh, it, oh, it's it's actually funny because his lawyer said, hey, my client's been lucky with the ladies. Oh, yes. We talked um, about this, and he sucks in terms of the ladies. Ladies, stay away. This is the public service announcement. <laughs> <laughs> but, but here's the thing. He's been lucky with the ladies, but... Um, at least, and I, obviously, maybe it's different in Florida. But uh, Tony and I were talking about the idea of a recanting witness, specifically in domestic violence cases. A recanting witness is someone who initially made a complaint, wanted to press charges, and later they change their mind. They don't want to, and they often even change their story to get the prosecutor to to drop the charge. And um, in my personal experience, I get the wives and the you know girlfriends calling and saying, "Well, what if I call the DA and I tell him that I was drunk?" And I didn't mean that. And I had a reason that I lied, you know, and, and I say, don't even bother because it doesn't really matter. So, Tony, what, what do you think about, um, at least in our jurisdiction, recanting? Does that make it does that make a difference? Well, it depends on every case. But as a general rule, I don't like recanting cases. The juries don't buy it. You know, what they do is they, they call the police officer, and he says she was crying and upset. There's a video for his body camera video recorded this lady. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And, and you know, she's got, she had a injury. cheek. Was, mm-hmm. She had an injury. And then when they get up and lie, if they lie for the boyfriend or the husband, it just doesn't... It, it doesn't work. I've, I've, I've seen it happen before, mm-hmm. and I sit there cringing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would rather taken on straight on uh, rather than as a general every case is different than somebody changes their story than somebody changing their story because they'll call the prosecution will call a um, 
expert. That's what witness that, mm-hmm. that will say and can testify as an expert that recantation is part of the abuse. Mm-hmm. That's what happens. Like battered women's syndrome. It happens and, a lot. Yeah. yeah. And then, it, you know, down the line when there is a next one, because I'm pretty <laughs> sure there will be a next one, will these prior cases that have been dropped be used in yeah. those cases to prosecute him? They certainly could be in California. There's a, there's a specific evidence code section that allows prior acts of domestic violence or violence against another mm-hmm. woman, don't, it doesn't have to be married or even a girlfriend, come in. And it's very easy for the prosecution to get it in. We've, the, the legislature has made it very easy. I don't know what the law is in Florida. Get it in for the jury's consideration yeah, at trial. To, show, mm-hmm. to actually show propensity mm-hmm. for this 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 kind mm-hmm. of thing. That's devastating. Did to this change after the OJ uh, or- um, yeah, I think it did. I, I think, think so, there too. Was, yeah, there was – it's in the last, I think, 10 years, maybe a little more, maybe 15 right. years. But O.J. changed a lot of things. A lot of things about yeah. domestic violence. I also think that um, even in, in terms of a prosecutorial agency making a filing decision, they matter. Because, uh, you know, at least here in L.A., if a prosecutor's looking at, you know, allegations by a woman that a man hit her and – whatever he did um and that person has no prior history of any type of battery or assault they look at that differently and that could make a difference in them not filing a case if there's not sufficient evidence but if they have a whole slew like zimmerman of you know getting lucky with the ladies eventually they're not going to get lucky Isn't he you know really getting kind of unlucky with the ladies I mean, they always <laughs> yes. call the police right he's getting lucky with the prosecution they right. drop the cases That's yeah. true. he's lucky with with men too because he had a road rage case where he the, the guy didn't want to press charges and it was really bad it was pretty aggravated the circumstances you know, if that. i were him i would uh I would Crawl take into a hole. or something like that, but I would take a cue from OJ. What happened to OJ Simpson? Where karma caught up. It's mm-hmm. so lucky. Mm-hmm. You should get up every day and thank God that you're still walking around, um, and you try out for the sainthood every day. Yeah. You know what I mean? You you watch everything you do, and especially in domestic violence situations, the truth is, guys, I don't care what they say. I don't care if they whack you. I don't care if they insult you, your mother, your father, don't hit. Walk away because you're never going to win. You're always going to be in the wrong. Mm-hmm. Good advice. Yep. Okay. And that's for free, too. <laughs> Usually charge a lot for that advice. Absolutely. Thank you so much for giving it to us for free today. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we want to close out today with a special segment because it is Black History Month. So today we've got some trivia for you, some historical events that occurred on this day in February 4th. So did you know that on this day in 1952, we had our first black executive executive sorry, of a major TV station, and that was Jackie Robinson? Jackie Robinson, the baseball player? Yep, same guy. Yep. Wow, that's amazing. And then, on this day in 1971, baseball announces a special Hall of Fame wing for blacks. Pretty cool. And then, to bring it back to the law, the first black man licensed to practice law in the United States was Macon Bowling Allen, who passed the bar exam in Maine in 1844. Wow. And he was also the first um, to hold a judicial post by becoming the uh, Massachusetts Justice of the Peace in 1848. So can you imagine that? He's a judge in the North and there's slavery in the South. South, And this is before the Civil War. Yep. Crazy. Fascinating. 
And then, of course, we can't leave out the first female African-American lawyer who was equally awesome. Charlotte E. Ray was not only the first black female lawyer, she was also the first woman, period, to practice in Washington, D.C. And she graduated from Howard Law School in 1872. How's that for you? It's pretty amazing. It's amazing. All right, Sarah. All right. Well, this brings us to the end of the segment today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Tony, thank you again for joining us on the show. We learned a lot, as always. And uh, please keep the dialogue going during the week. Find us on iTunes and YouTube and click like and uh, post your comments and your feedback. You can also tweet us. You can tweet me at Azari Law. At Chelsea Galicia. And Tony can be emailed directly, marksbrooklier at yahoo.com. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week right here on Justice is Served. From producers Maria Menunos, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire BHL crew, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us at info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I'm your BHL announcer, Scipio. Instagram me at Planet Scipio. Thank you for tuning in. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.